Whenever you're ready. Good morning. Today is April the 5th, the first Sunday of the month. The fourth Sunday we are meeting in this way, unable to gather for worship. But we continue to worship even if we cannot gather together. Our God is with us wherever we are. Normally on the first Sunday of the month we celebrate communion together. That will not be possible today under these circumstances. The table is inherently, by definition, communal. And so we must wait until we can be together again to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We will look forward to that day and be all the more eager to break bread together when we can. How we look forward to it. That is going to be a great day. Today is Palm Sunday. And we want to take time to reflect on Christ's coming to the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday so many years ago. This morning we turn in our Bibles to, to Luke 19. We'll be coming to the text in a moment. Time magazine did a telephone survey of over a thousand Americans asking questions about heaven and hell. Nothing is more important, even though this is not usually what you find in Time magazine. This morning I'm going to cite some of the questions and answers of that survey done by Time Magazine. Number one, do you believe in the existence of heaven, where people live forever with God after they die? Yes, 81%. No, 13%. Do you believe in hell, where people are punished forever after they die? Yes. 63%. No, 30%. Third question. Do people get into heaven based mostly on the good things they do? Or on their faith in God? Or both? Good things they do, 6%. Faith in God, 34%. Both, 57%. So the most common answer is that Americans expect that they get to heaven through faith and works. So we have more work to do, don't we? The fourth question, immediately after death, which of the following do you think will happen to you? Go directly to heaven, 61%. Go to hell, 1%. Go to purgatory, 15%. The end of existence, 4%. It's fascinating to think about such data. Such surveys are taken now and again and often present similar results. Americans have many different opinions about heaven and hell. Most think they're going to heaven. They're optimistic about that. The Bible teaches that the answers to these very important questions are wrapped up in Jesus. On Palm Sunday, we look at Jesus, his coming to Jerusalem, and his mission there. And now we're going to read our text. It's Luke 19. I hope you are, you've found that in your Bibles, Luke 19. And we're going to read the passage together. We're going to begin at Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, 
Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untie it, untying it, tell them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying, untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. That last word, God's coming, could be translated God's visitation. God has visited the city. God has come to his people in the person of Jesus and they have not recognized it. Well, at Passover, thousands of people came from all over the world, Roman world to Jerusalem. Ancient reports vary about how many came, but it was a logistical nightmare. Inns overflowing, many thousands were staying in tents or other temporary shelters around the city. It was the very opposite of social distancing. The Romans were in charge, the occupying force, and they were based in the Antonio, Antonio Fortress. They were there in force to keep order in this very religious city, which, after all, was expecting a messiah. So the situation is crowded and very tense. Jesus, coming to Jerusalem for Passover, sent his disciples ahead for a colt that had never been ridden and rode into the city on a donkey's colt. As Jesus made his way toward Jerusalem, he brought salvation near. As a matter of fact, wherever Jesus comes, when he comes, salvation comes we are reminded of the prophecy made centuries before uh, by Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Re re shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule 
will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. These words were written by the prophet Zechariah five centuries earlier. So Jesus coming into the city riding in a colt, which he had never done before. Jesus, Jesus had walked everywhere. He went. This was a clear messianic announcement. The fulfillment of the scriptures that, that the Jews read in the synagogues. Everywhere Jesus had gone, he had brought salvation. It had begun in his hometown synagogue when he read the scroll of Isaiah. You know, the scroll of Isaiah was given to him and he found the passage and he read the passage. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's in Luke 4, uh, quoting the prophet Isaiah. Then Jesus sat down and said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Note the phrase in this quotation, to preach good news to the poor. The poor here are very poor. They're dirt poor. The word came to refer to the spiritually poor, spiritually destitute, those who are humble and broken and needy and dependent on God for help. Jesus used this very word in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who are broken and needy and spiritually destitute, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere Jesus went, salvation came. I mean, think of Zacchaeus right here in Luke 19, earlier in the chapter. He was the tax collector, a short man who climbed into the tree to see Jesus. Jesus went to his home, and when he did, Zacchaeus repented. He turned away from, from cheating and sin to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, Today, salvation has come to this house, where the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That text, Luke 19.10, is the key verse of Luke's Gospel. This is why Jesus came. And this is what Luke is presenting to us in his Gospel. Jesus is the Savior. He came to rescue the lost. And now he came to Jerusalem. They greeted him with waving palms, laying their cloaks on the ground, shouting, Praise God! Blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord! Glory to God in the highest! There was great excitement as they welcomed him. Well, the Pharisees were shocked. Teacher, silence your disciples! Don't you realize what they're saying? They're calling you Messiah, is the intent of their words. The Pharisees were not the humble poor. They were sure that they knew better. They were proud. They didn't need this Jesus, this upstart, untrained, supposed rabbi from Galilee. Jesus' response to them is noteworthy. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out, which is almost a way of saying the rocks have more sense than you. That is, the creation knows more. The creation knows. 
We read in the Old Testament, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. Creation itself calls out God's praise. You want to silence it too? To stop my disciples from praising me, you might as well blot out the sun and drag the moon off course. And stop the rain. Creation proclaims my work, how much more my disciples. In a way, Jesus is saying, you have hearts of stone. Their hearts are hard. They refuse to believe in spite of all the miracles, of all the signs, of all that Jesus had taught and done. The fact is that Jesus' coming brings salvation near, but also judgment. Reject him. Show God a heart of rock, and judgment comes. Notice the text says Jesus wept. Verse 41, Jesus wept. This is an amazing scene. Jesus is surrounded by cheering, shouting, joyous disciples, and Jesus himself breaks out into open lamentation. He's on the Mount of Olives, and before him, across the Kidron Valley, spreads out the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus is weeping. He knew why he was there earlier. On the way to the city, in chapter 18, he said, I'm going to turn back to chapter 18, verse 31, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, and flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Jesus knew he was going to Jerusalem to be rejected and mocked, to suffer and to die. He would die for our sins, bearing the weight of the curse for us. He knew he would conquer death and rise again. He told his disciples, but they could not understand. This, of course, is the good news. This is the gospel, the eternal plan of God to bring salvation through his Son, our Savior. Jesus was going to Jerusalem in obedience to the Father, knowing what was ahead. Jerusalem rejected Jesus and turned him over to the Romans. So God rejected Jerusalem and turned them over to the Romans. As Jesus predicts here in this lament, your enemies will build an embankment and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. And indeed, 40 years later, one generation later in A.D. 70, Jerusalem fell to the Roman legions of Titus. The Romans ruthlessly pillaged and destroyed the city, murdering thousands. God's wrath fell on a city that rejected his son and rejected his salvation. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, he wept over those who were too hard-hearted, too proud to receive him. I asked this morning, is Jesus weeping over you? Are you 
rejecting him? Are you too proud, too sure of yourself, trusting in yourself? When Jesus comes, he brings salvation, but you reject him and nothing but judgment remains. Let me tell you the story of two friends. Two friends who got into crime. They started young. It started small, you know, petty theft. Living in the city, uh, it was easy to grab a purse and run. People couldn't catch them. They could vanish in an alley in a second. And they were good. They got used to the fun of splitting the money. What a sucker they would mock their last victim as they split the loot. Well, petty crime grew into bigger jobs and bolder jobs, armed robbery, more money, more thrill, more risk. And then it happened. They got caught. You talk about three strikes and you're out, strict felony laws? Well, this was worse. They lived under Roman law, and they were condemned, and they end up, ended up crucified on either side of Jesus. One insulted Jesus. Hey, you Jesus! Save yourself and us. The other was poor and needy and humble. He said, don't you fear God? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus brought salvation even to that desolate hill called Golgotha. He brought salvation to the thief who believed and trusted in him. Well, back to the original question about heaven and hell. Yes, there is a heaven and hell. Human beings created in God's image will live forever. We receive eternal life by receiving Christ and trusting him alone, not good works of any kind. Imagine for a moment this, this scene or this uh, picture. You and I or you and a partner are hiking and uh, you're backpacking maybe and you come to a crevasse that you have to, you have to cross uh, from one cliff to the other. It's about a hundred feet away and it's a thousand feet down to the valley below and so there's a lot at stake. But there's no worry. You have a sturdy nylon rope that's capable of bearing several tons of weight. But the problem is you only have 50 feet of rope. Your partner says, well, don't worry, I have 50 feet of twine. We can tie my twine to your rope and then we can get across. You make a middle note. Get another partner. You decline. What's the matter, your partner says. Uh, don't you trust the rope? Of course I trust the rope, but I don't trust the twine. Now, it could be 90 feet of rope and 10 feet of twine. It could be 99 feet of rope and one foot of twine. Still hopeless. You have to depend completely, 100% on the strong rope to get across. And so we must depend completely, 100% on Christ to save us. On the cross, he bore the weight of sin and guilt. He is the perfect, powerful Savior, and our works amount 
to nothing. Jesus brings salvation, and we must trust in Him alone or plunge to judgment. Will you trust Him today? And if you know Him and sure that you are belong to Him through faith and through grace, will you be sure to in some way reach out to someone else? You know, even in this time of social distancing when we're in isolation and we're cut off from others, God is using us to point others to Himself. And I pray that He does use us. He uses our church and He uses each of us as individuals. I remind you, fear not, for I am with you. Do, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Our God is with us. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Savior Jesus who came for us, who came to Jerusalem knowing full well what it would mean, the suffering he would endure, the separation from the Father beyond imagining, enduring the curse in our place. We are so thankful for this good news, the Savior who came and through his death and resurrection and exaltation to the right hand of God, we have forgiveness and life and salvation. We thank you. And Lord, I pray that you would use us to bring this good news to others. And Lord, bring your good comfort and mercy to each and every one of us, we pray. And now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well,